Inside 10 Forward, Guinan walks up to the camera. Worf thought the prune juice was a warrior's drink, and Jordy enjoyed his cranberry juice. Wesley, I've noticed you walking through the decks at a 45-degree angle. Try this 20th century concoction. It's called the V8, and it will keep your diet straight. Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek The Next Generation and re-engage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the tiny little baby childs we were when it first aired. Today we are talking about the 15th episode of Season 3, Yesterday's Enterprise, and I am so excited to welcome my fellow cultural bridge officers to discuss one of the best-loved Star Trek episodes of the entire franchise, we even got a very special guest, and it's not Shooter McGavin, but we will introduce him in just a moment. In the meantime, hello, Eric Gratton. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. I'm extraordinarily excited to uh, talk about this one because I remember loving it so hard, and I thought I remembered all the details, and it turns out I remembered none of the details, <laughs> the timing, none of the order. I was consistently surprised by this entire episode, and I can't wait to dive in. That is, uh, yeah, same, exactly. Uh, Kate Yeager, how are you, and how did you feel the same way? I did. I'm doing fine. I had some acupuncture today, so I'm feeling very open, uh, which is great. Let it flow. And I got verklempt. I got I got choked up last night watching. Uh, and I, like Eric, thought like, oh, this episode. I know this episode. But like, it hit me really hard. And I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. Jimmy G, how are you? I am fantastic. Uh, I love this episode, but it left me wondering, when Riker dies, who got his collection of harp porn? <laughs> it's it's saved on a server somewhere we've got to go find it in a couple seasons as we'll talk about there is that Riker clone on Deep Space Nine oh. maybe it just goes to him mm. that's correct I would love to introduce our special guest we have Tyler Jacobs joining us hello Tyler hello yeah. how's everyone doing Good. thanks for having me by the way this is fantastic huge Star Trek fan yes yeah, so you are a uh, visual artist who's done stuff in fantasy and things all over the the, the zeitgeist but I uh, would love to hear about your journey with Star Trek and how you started watching and 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 what the next generation series means to you oh man long story I mean I didn't <laughs> so I was born in 82 so I missed sort of the beginning of um, TNG just because I was too young. But I, I do distinctly recall my earliest memories of the show where it's sort of that tail end of season six when they have the um, lore episode that crosses from season six to season seven. It's like the, the finale for season six. Mm -hmm. um, I remember that airing on television and not knowing that a season of a show ended. And, and I'm like, okay, so next week we're going to find out what's going to happen. Nope, no. Um, I, I, I had no concept that I had to wait like, months and months and months to find out what was going to happen with this and and then after that it was just reruns and me watching the show everywhere i could every episode and there were marathons in order so i watched all those i think that was the beginning of my star trek fandom i devoured that show and then deep space nine came out and changed my whole life pretty much so yeah i have uh, you know similarly watched it when we were kids and loved to go back to it and it's been so fascinating seeing all of it in the context of when it first aired and speaking of which we will get to what is going on here with this episode it first aired uh as i said it is yesterday's enterprise and it first aired on february 19th 1990 that is stardate 43625.2 and in the world uh 
on February 14th, five days before this aired, was when Voyager 1, who has, which has a special place in Star Trek history, uh, the Voyager series of probes, turned back around and looked at the solar system and took a picture of what it saw and Earth is depicted as a pale blue dot. Uh, I didn't know this at the time. Uh, of course, you know, why would I? But NASA <laughs> did this, uh, told Voyager 1 to look back and take this image because Carl Sagan asked them to. <laughs> <laughs> he just thought it would be a very interesting thing to have Voyager that was going outside the solar system and looking backwards to see what the scale of our planet looks like uh at that scale and it was it was breathtaking it's a really imaging uh 5.6 billion kilometers away from earth this image was taken yeah. uh, and it is just a pale blue dot they say it's smaller than a pixel itself uh in 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 the imaging well that just we puts are. everything into perspective now doesn't it <laughs> right <laughs> what matters <laughs> is math <laughs> It is that Carl Sagan thing in the cosmos. You are an insignificant little speck. <laughs> Nothing you do is worthwhile. You might as well just... Wait, that's not his philosophy at all. But <laughs> it feels like that. The, the bizarro um, Carl Sagan that you're describing there. Now I want to see mirror universe Carl Sagan and what he's like. <laughs> You'll have a beard for sure. <laughs> Definitely a beard and his name is Sarl Kagan. <laughs> Sorrow. Uh, on February 15th, 1990, the United Kingdom and Argentina restored diplomatic relations uh, after eight years since the Falkland Island War. It was a very uh, short war, only about six weeks long, but it was about the sovereignty of who owns the Falkland Islands, Argentina, which is very close to where the Falklands Islands are in the Atlantic Ocean, the South Atlantic Ocean. Uh, try to say like, hey, no, we own this, uh, even though most of the people who live there are British and descended from British settlers and who, who have voted to say they want to continue to be a UK colony. And, and many people say that this was one of the largest full scale wars with modern, you know, at the time, modern uh, equipment. And so it is studied extremely heavily in war colleges uh, as as a, a naval and air and sea engagement uh, using much more modern warfare. Of course, it's not as modern anymore. There's been more since there, but it is still thought of as a, a really important part of, I think, what led to, you know, Margaret Thatcher and, and, and her consolidation of power in the UK, the Conservative Party, after winning this war in, uh, for six weeks, gained more support uh, internally. And so it led to a lot of the things that we saw in the 80s of mining uh, strikes and all that stuff. All that's all wrapped up here in this Falkland Islands war. <laughs> Thatcher. Yeah, fuck Thatcher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Jillian Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least we got that out of it, that Jillian Anderson was able to be something amazing in the crown. But we can also, uh, you know, swear at an, uh, a U.S. leader in this episode. Also on February 15th, a summit was held between George Bush Sr., H.W. Bush, the president of Bolivia, the president of Colombia, and the president of Peru. And it was a summit that was mostly about trying to get them to stop importing drugs to the United States. The press conference afterwards was very much all about like, well, harvesting the coca plant is really profitable, but we don't want them to do it anymore. And uh, it just was another part of the rhetoric around the war on drugs, which everyone knows uh, we won. We won. Totally done. successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Victory. Yeah. Victory. 
Uh, this was also just important because it was it was it was not named anything. It was just kind of a summit, but it did end up becoming something called the Summit of the Americas, which you may have heard over the last few decades. Every once in a while, uh, governments uh, and their leaders from the North American and South American continents get together and you know hang out, maybe do some cocaine. I don't know. <laughs> fight cocaine. Maybe. They fight it. <laughs> they, they right. We fight cocaine. We're gonna beat cocaine. Anyway, that was what was going on in the world. Maybe it had something to do with how this episode was perceived, or maybe not. I don't know. Kate, what was going on in the entertainment world? Well, we've got a lot of repetition, so I'm I'm looking outside of our, our normal means, because Opposites Attract by Paula Abdul is still number one on the pop charts, but then I realized that we're in the 1990s now, which is when music started to get really good, because it's when I started listening to music. That's how that works, right? It's Spoken like a true Gen Xer, yes. Music becomes good the moment you start to listen to it. And so I'm going to be looking at the modern rock and alternative charts as well. Uh, so Cuts You Up by Peter Murphy was the number one song. I don't know if you remember that one. I, I can't sing low enough. Uh, you know the way it hurts and frown. Here's your fairness, turn it frown. And then and there's this part, oh, cut you out. And it's really low. And I I advise you to listen to it on a stereo with lots of bass uh, and sit on it if you want to. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> it's that kind of podcast. All Driving right. Miss Daisy was still number one uh, at the box office. You'll remember Steven Seagal slipped in for a week to make a mind-bending <laughs> journey to the top of the charts. But Driving Miss Daisy comes back to be number one. But it is worth noting that exactly a month before this episode comes out, one of the greatest movies of all time was released and we missed it. And that was Tremors. So I felt like if I didn't say out loud that we missed one of my favorite movies of all time, which I can't believe is that old at this point, right? <laughs> Strong work, right? Kate. Right. Oh yeah. And then on television, the 32nd Grammy Awards took place that week, uh, and "Wind Beneath My Wings" won Song of the Year, oh. and Bonnie Raitt's album "Nick of Time" uh, won Album of the Year. And that's what was happening in pop culture. I will say that I'm about to start a YouTube channel called 32nd Grammys, and it's all 32nd clips of various Grammy possibilities. Just. Hearing you say the 30-second Grammys were there, all ah. I heard Grammys that last 30 seconds, and now it's all I'm going to think about until we make it happen. I love it. All I heard was tremors, and that's really all that matters. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> that's our next podcast. We're just oh, going to talk please. about tremors. There are several, what is it, seven movies and a series now, so, so we could do a podcast. <laughs> With Michael Gross as like the through line, right? Isn't oh, he in like most of them? God love him. And Reba was in several. Yeah. yeah. Fred Ward was in a couple. It's 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 solid. The first is a classic though. If you haven't seen it, please. It's campy and actually scary. And, and scary. Good. An original. It was really unique and strange, but we don't have to talk about that. We can do that for another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Jimmy, what was going on behind the scenes on this momentous episode? Uh, it was quite a lot. So the original story idea that was, it was pitched a year earlier by Trent Christopher Ganino, and it was very similar, but the difference was that the Enterprise C still comes forward in time, but the crux of the drama rests on Picard debating whether or not he tells the crew of the Enterprise C what their fate was before he sends them back to where they are. Uh, and they took that out, uh, of course. It, we'll get into how that happened. But what was pretty interesting is this 
episode, Restructured, was written in just three days. And they had a very big time crunch because both Denise Crosby and Whoopi Goldberg had conflicts and they only had three. They they uh, couldn't be around for the, the writing staff to have their usual amount of time to flesh out the story. So going into the episode, the writers hated this. They hated the script. They thought it was rushed and they did not think it would work really well. On top of that, there were more than the standard four writers. So at that time, I don't know if it's the same now, the Writers Guild only allows four writing credits on an episode. So one of the writers had to drop out just because they exceeded their limit. And these writers all took a different act of the script. So for example, Pillar wrote the Guinan bits and fleshed all that stuff out. Ron Moore took on two. He introduced the Yar Castillo romance. And he also had a much longer, more in-depth final scene for the Enterprise D when it blows up. So in addition to Riker being killed in that, which is the only thing that was kept, he had uh, Data being electrocuted and Wesley's head being cut off. (laughs) All of that got scrapped, which, man, I would love to have seen that. Uh, <laughs> so what we all <laughs> right and then there were some differences i just wanted to call out from the what we might as viewers consider the real world and what was the alternative world so uh it's something that calls back to what we just gone over instead of the captain's log it was the military log instead of the combat date i mean instead of star date it was combat date and these are all references that they drop their steps leading up to the upper part of the bridge instead of the ramps and they redesign the captain's chair to look more like a throne and in Picard's ready room instead of this that relief or painting of the Enterprise it was like a big battlefield that showed where they thought the Klingons were in relation to where the starships were so little details like that throughout that called how different the world was and of course obviously the um, phasers on the side and on a personal note or observation it was cool to see when who will call other piscopo (laughs) he comes on he also had the pointy sideburns which now we have a date of exactly how long the fashion of pointy sideburns lasted because as we know we talked about in season one of tng this was called out about how all the men had pointy sideburns and we know it was at least a 22 year fad (laughs) hair design in this world (laughs) and um a couple other things if you noticed dr salar was paged dr salar was the vulcan doctor from schizoid man so that was a nice callback like we don't see her but at least she's supposedly still in the universe and lieutenant barrett was also paged and that was a call out to major barrett and this episode won an emmy for sound editing and there you have it from the Nemesic files. The sound is very interesting. I love how, you know, there is all those announcements and things going on. It definitely does feel like a much more vibrant uh, wartime ship because of all that. So the sound design was actually really important to keep that to keep that going for sure. Very cool. All right, Eric, what can you tell us about Piscopo Jr. or Shooter McGavin and or the other actors that appeared in there? Well, I feel very bad for Trisha O'Neill, who had a really impressive career, because we're going to spend most of the time talking about Christopher McDonald, as we all know. So Christopher McDonald, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, it's our one chance to talk Shooter McGavin. In the start. <laughs> so we're going to talk it. Uh, he's coming up on Secret Invasion. I'm very excited to see who he plays. I do not do the spoiler thing. Uh, I am MCU'd out, but the scrolls will pull me back in. I'm very excited for that. 
the thing about him is that Thelma and Louise launched an awful lot of careers into a notch or two above what they had been. He was doing great up until then. He's got thousands of credits and everything, but that one really launched him into kind of this, which launched him into the next thing, which launched him into the next thing, which eventually became Shooter McGavin. But, I mean, we've seen him on every fucking thing. He recently was Bob Bennett on American Crime Story, if you watched that, the one about the Clinton and uh, Lewinsky stuff. It was wonderful. It's weird seeing him or really any famous-looking person playing real people. But uh, cops and judges, lawyers everywhere, Boardwalk Empire, Harry's Law, unto even Harvey Dent in a voiceover realm, doctors everywhere you look, various other characters from wealthy golfers to wealthy businessmen to wealthy school teachers. He just, I don't buy him anything under way upper middle class and anything I've seen and every time they throw him in there I'm like oh this guy was born rich and he's come on hard times it's not a fault of his acting he's amazing um I love his psych episode if you guys remember that one uh he was in beyond reason boss hog was a stretch for anyone so why the hell not him politicians all over the place unto even Jorel in a voiceover realm of course uh I'm gonna start a thing where I recommend one underwatched gem from a career like this one I mean, his calling truly was playing game show hosts, as he showed us in one of my very favorite movies, Quiz Show. But you really need to 110% watch Peter Gabriel's video for The Barry Williams Show, if you've never seen it. Oh, yeah. song that really hits the Jerry Springer kind of zeitgeist of the early 2000s hard. And uh, Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin, plays the uh, Barry Williams, Jerry Springer type in it and is wonderfully done. So what do you guys think about Shooter? Tell me your favorite stories. Quote me your favorite moment. Something. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the one that comes, right? Yeah, it just keeps on giving. All right, so then we go to Trisha O'Neill as the first, I believe, female captain in the Star Trek Next Generation universe. Is that right? We'll go with yes. Yeah, this is a red letter episode. Why not? She is Star Trek royalty. Besides this beautiful performance, we we see her again in this series. She plays one of the best Klingons in history, but we'll talk more about Kurak when we inevitably get to that sixth season. And then in Deep Space Nine, she's Karinus, the Obsidian Order rep who shadows Sisko and Dukat as they work to find that Defiant, which has been stolen by Will Riker's clone that we talked about briefly earlier. created in a sudden guest star explosion. Oh, Thomas. As <laughs> <laughs> She did two by two and then movies like Gumball Rally. And in the 80s, she was the star of Piranha 2 by James Cameron, <laughs> which of course led to their further collaboration in Titanic, where she plays woman. <laughs> <laughs> Tons and tons of guest stars in TV shows. Uh, Jag, Nano 210, Dallas, Murder, She Wrote, Babylon 5, Matlock, La La, uh, MacGyver, Dynasty, Scarecrow, and or Mrs. King, The Fall Guy, God, I Love That Show, Heart to Heart, and Barney Miller. And uh, what a career, but we ain't got more time because Shooter McGavin stole all guest star energy. She is uh, Star Trek royalty. I mean, really being in so many important episodes in Deep Space Nine, that's really, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. So on to the episode itself. There, as as Jimmy mentioned, there are a lot of writers on this, uh, but I found it interesting that it was actually a spec st- script that was submitted by Trent Christopher Ganino. Knew nothing about it. He just, I think it was, uh, they were like, hey, we're ex- accepting some scripts. And he sent it in in um, late 1989, and then it just got fast-tracked when they needed an episode here in the middle of the season, and maybe that's why the writers were a little bit miffed by it, was that it came from outside their ranks, 
Um, but what they ended up putting together was amazing. So yeah, it was the teleplay was by Iris Stephen Bear, Richard Manning, Hans Breimler, and Ronald D. Moore. Story was by Trent Christopher Ganino and Eric A. Stillwell. So maybe Stillwell was the fifth writer that they ended up giving a story credit to instead of the teleplay credit. It was directed by David Carson, and it begins in 10 forward with Worf. I'm so glad we get to see Worf in this and his interaction with Guinan here. I didn't realize prune juice was a warrior's drink, but of course it is. He loves it. But I think uh, notably about this scene to me is war. Uh, it, it's Worf's laugh, uh, but it is of course, uh, Michael Dorn's ha 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 when uh, asked whether or not he was a coward uh, and wanting to date women on the Enterprise. What did you guys think about this scene? Tyler, we'll go to you first since we oh. want to make sure we get what you're thinking <laughs> about Worf and Guinan. I mean, any any scene with Worf is amazing. I'm a big, you know, all through Worf's life. And I think it's only a few episodes after this that they really start getting into like digging into Worf's backstory. So, I mean, anything with Worf is going to be, I'm all over it. And you know, when he moves to Deep Space Nine, the, the best spoilers, but yeah, uh -huh. that just seeing a little bit, just, I love when they start digging into characters like this, you know, when they have like a few minutes in the show to, to really get a little more out of them, like to figure out a little bit more about their, you know, backstories or just their personalities. Um, and you know, Guinan seems to be the one that tends to draw that out of most people. So great, great little scene. I love that Guinan tells him that there are women on the ship that would find him tame, which leads to that great laugh. But it makes me think of all of the, first of all, I think Guinan is hinting hard there. Like, I think she's ready to smash for sure. <laughs> There's a little bit of a like, look, there are entities on board. <laughs> Who are going to be fine with you? Get the hint. Uh, but, you know, it reminds me, Tyler, we have made it canon that Pulaski and Worf definitely smashed before she left uh, the <laughs> ship. So I'm thinking of, you know, women who would find him tame. But I just, I love that idea of Guinan being like, look in front of you. <laughs> well, and if we choose foreshadowing, we do know that another woman in several of the versions of canon certainly find him tame as well. True story. But not attractive, just tame. <laughs> but he's just looking out for their you know well-being he doesn't want to hurt them uh this is the second time too where we get Guinan on uh in 10 forward seeing something happening outside the windows and being like oh shit which i mm. love like anytime Guinan looks out those windows i get nervous <laughs> because something's going to be out there that she's alone is going to recognize and i love too that this just reinforces i think we mentioned it a couple times but i didn't know this when i was a kid watching this that 10 forward actually meant the front of the ship right mm -hmm. it was d deck 10 the most forward. you know forward part of it so those windows that they get to see actually is the best view of uh, things happening there. And so, of course, you got to see this temporal rift out there and is like, oh, no. Well, I wrote that kind of same thing, too, Kate, like the, the use of that recognition of her vast experience. Like they didn't do that too much. They used I feel like they used it just enough. It's kind of a delightful portent of doom because we know just enough about her now. That even before Tasha says later, hmm, it's weird, she's fucked up. Like, we've already picked up on that. Like, nothing fucks with this person. I wonder if uh, Guinan could get together with Deanna and maybe do a little bit of lesson. Like, this is how you can use your powers a little more effectively. <laughs> you want you want Deanna to get some training, don't you? And, you know, she's absent from this episode. I, I don't know if you noticed that, but she uh, she's not here. <laughs> Really? I thought she's in the she's in the opening. Yeah, like Worf, like yeah, briefly, like Worf. and then 
once we go to war, because, we don't need. Oh, because why need would that. you need a counselor when you go to war? We don't that's need touchy feely things and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. We know that's true. <laughs> the vacation episode for Michael Dorn and Marina Sirtis. <laughs> They're just <laughs> They're out hanging off the back lot or something. And this is where they got together and we're like, hey, we should start up a romance plot so that we can we can get more screen time. And they're like, let's do it. So then Worf, uh, you know, moseys on to the bridge to see what's happening. I, I always love those scenes, uh, Jimmy, where like uh, the person who's at the desk needs to leave uh, when the real the real person shows up. We get to see that happen here. And very quickly... We realize it's a temporal rift. Something might be happening. It's a ship coming out. And then we get that great effect of the two realities going back and forth with each other. And that was a late addition. That was not something that, because of the rush nature of the production of this episode, the editing realized they were just going to do it with a simple cut, I read. Like it was just going to be just like it is at the end where they just cut. And they thought that was a little too confusing. So they did this weird back and forth uh, interspersing cut, and I think this effect works really well. What a hook, right? I mean, t- talk about keeping people in past the credits. I mean, yeah. that's just an amazing way to open the episode and to show the one of my favorite ships in all Star Trek, the the Ambassador class on Enterprise. It, it's just so cool to have it come out of there, and what a great scene. Tyler, when when you were growing up and kind of falling in love with art and drawing, did you? Did you use Star Trek as a inspiration much? Oh, totally. I, I think I yeah. still have. I was actually looking through some of my Star Trek books in preparation for this, but they're they're full of like graph paper drawings of starships and me like trying to design my own starships and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it was a huge inspiration for me for sure. That's cool. Did you kind of go deep into the, what you thought the functionality of the various parts were and things like that? Yeah, be, only because I bought, I saved up money and bought the blueprints for the Enterprise D. So I still have the blueprints <laughs> and I would like lay them all out in my room because it's, you know, I mean, you couldn't, I didn't have a big enough house or room to lay out every deck, but um, it was, I would just go through and you could like see, oh, there is a bathroom on the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd start digging through and like saying, okay, so this is how you take this turbo lift and this is a weird turbo lift that is only used for emergencies and goes to the battle bridge and all that stuff. And um, so I would add that in because I, you know, you'd see that side view of the Enterprise. So I was like, okay, I got to do my ships the same way. I got to have side views of all the decks and <laughs> where the bathrooms are. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> and the Enterprise C does appear. It does. It almost looked like the Excelsior mashed with the... Uh, with the Enterprise D, right? It had that kind of old, for, you know, at the time we were watching this, we were really watching a lot of the original series movies that were coming out. And I was like, oh, I loved that it called back to that immediately. Yeah, it was cool. Um, that that sort of, um, it didn't have as smooth of a, the, those little arms that come out and connect to the nacelles, they were really cornered. They weren't as smooth as the Enterprise. So it was a nice in between the Excelsior and the and the um, Galaxy. I just don't want to like, uh, I just was remembering how, blown the fuck away I was as a small child that when that shift happens there's fucking Tasha right like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's fucking huge (laughs) like especially considering the way that she was done dirty you know like if that episode for the record is a great episode her death in terms of like there's many wonderful things about it but the actress got kind of screwed in terms of here's your big goodbye you die 10 seconds in Uh, (laughs) so this was just like does anyone else remember that moment of like, oh shit? Mm-hmm. This is one of those things that I was talking about at the beginning. I had completely forgotten the reveal. 
And so I'm sitting here experiencing it like I did when I was 13. I'm just like, it happened and I screamed. I was just like, that was the coolest shot. And the move behind and you expect to see Worf and there she is. And what they do at the end where, you know, you're not expecting to see anything necessarily. It goes off of him and you go right back and there's the Worf you were expecting to see at the beginning. Like the payoff is so good all the way through for this shot. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that close up of Picard uh, is where that effect happens. And I, I, I do, I love that seeing that over the shoulder thing, but let's talk a little bit about the lighting here too, because yeah. that shift is almost more dramatic than for me, than Tasha's reveal, uh, or at least it contributes to it because it's such an emotional change having the blue lights coming down from above. And you don't even realize how uniform and warm and and yellow the lighting is on the bridge and in Ten Forward and all the other places. But immediately you're like, this is a very different world and situation. And it, it reminded me a little bit of like how uh, Star Trek Discovery and some of the more modern takes on Star Trek are lit. I almost wonder if they used this episode as inspiration for how do you create this amount of drama in it. But yeah, the blue light and the darkness of that bridge was immediately apparent. And of course, also Patrick Stewart's performance is shifted a little bit. He's he's not the same Picard. He's angry Picard. He's yeah. pretty angry this season. I felt like he's kind of angry this season. But the this it's the first time you get to see like cinematic lighting, I think, in TNG, which is um you see it a lot more in I guess Deep Space Nine, but it, it links right to the movies eventually that you get that you finally see that sort of hard rim lighting and that that kind of stuff is man, it's killer for to see it to see that transition, the way they bled the two frames together. Man, what a hook. It's just a great way to open the the episode. Well, and you're right, Greg. Like, his performance is suddenly more clipped. He doesn't take as much time. He's right back to not caring what his subordinates necessarily think, which is, it can be a feeling like you get that mustached bad guy version like you did in the hmm. OS. But, like, you miss out on that because you have these actors and the director who gives more of a shit, I guess, about making it seem like these same people just were sucked away by the fortunes of war right and it's so much more interesting that he still does care what Guinan has to say because he doesn't care what Riker has to say anymore he doesn't care what so many of the other ones have to say anymore but he still listens to Guinan and when we get to that scene it's it's so impressive it's, it's now impressive to see a black woman with no power go to a white man with all the power and say, just trust me. And eventually they do. It's, it's delightful. I didn't even think about that, but that is a very valid point. We'll get to, we'll get to that um, because you're right. He does dismiss so many of the opinions of his, of his crew, but we go back to Guinan uh, in 10 forward. Also a completely different look and feel um, just from the lighting, but also from the amount of people there. It has like almost like a military mess hall feel right off the bat and the uniforms like everything is more militaristic like there's much more emphasis placed on the yeah. where the phaser is that sort of like direct line kind to... of look like crossing guards a little bit yeah <laughs> a little bit and the 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 metal around the belt reminds me of kind of a sword belt that you would see in in dress uniforms yeah uh, now it's super interesting I was waiting for someone to be like, intergalactic planetary. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the Beastie Boys got it from, maybe. Who knows? So yes, the, sh the ship finally comes all the way out of the rift. And Tasha is there and is giving all the tactical information and says, no, this is, this is a Federation ship, NCC-1701C. In case you didn't know that that meant, it's USS 
dot 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 pause 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 enterprise <laughs> yeah she did take a long time delivering that <laughs> you know that wasn't a pause that was like they were saying do whatever you want we're sorry because <laughs> had she not been so poorly kicked off the show it would have been like oh kick Let's pick it up, Tasha. Come on. <laughs> you don't need you don't need to to have a pregnant pause there. She was probably like, I've never had the chance to have the line that goes into the credits. Can you please just give me that one time? I had an advantage at this time over other kind of casual fellow casual fans in that the last four digits of my phone number were one seven oh one. So the moment it came out, I recognized it because the first time I saw Star Trek, I'm like, I'm a lifelong fan because that's my phone number. <laughs> I, every time I see something like this, I'm reminded of my, my childhood phone number. Aww. Remember phone numbers, kids? <laughs> no. <laughs> only mine. I don't remember any numbers. It's <laughs> true. Yeah, only the one that's your like social security number. Uh, it's the only thing I learned in college. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time that TNG explores an alternate timeline. Is that right? Like we haven't really seen that since TOS with the mirror episode, but isn't this the first time that TNG does it? We've seen loops with loops, Captain yeah. who came back. Oh yes. Which is time. Yeah. Um, but that's a fully realized alternate history if we haven't seen. Well, I like this. And it leads in this episode has so many like ripples that it creates and later in the show, um, later in the other season. So it's just a cool way to um, to really get to see what the TNG could be in another timeline. Yeah, I love that we get Romulan Tasha in the future, but we'll get to that soon. So then after the <laughs> credit break, there is the military log and the combat date. That's, just, you know, as you noted, Jimmy, it's a very different, subtle, but very, very different uh, report. And we get that the ship is da damaged. It doesn't look good at all. It's from the uh, the past. They clearly determined that from the call sign in the Enterprise C. But then Captain Picard is like, wait, we can't do anything to upset this timeline, right? We have to be very careful about the time police coming to get us or something. Right. That's that first moment, right, where Tasha says there's life signs and Riker immediately calls sickbay and, and Picard belays that order, which is that first instant like instance of like oh shit things really are different right because he normal picard would be all over you know like we'll help them and then we'll figure it out on the way no you're right and he and his attitude to uh riker is very different riker's different too he's kind of like impatient disgruntled riker yeah. this whole episode he's every he, that's what he felt like to me like everything was sort of like why why are why are you doing this i'm mad yeah well, when you when you're never listened to, right? That he has that air of someone who is like constantly like shot down and is just frustrated. It's good character work because it's like it would be what Riker would be like if he couldn't really get his say, which he gets. Like he gets to advise Picard so much uh, as you know in the regular universe. They get the uh, distress call, so they understand that there is Captain Garrett. We hear her voice uh, for the first time that they were attacked by Bromulan warships. There's no record of that though. None of that that didn't happen. And Picard in this, says in tries, to, tries to hail, and then they're like, "All right, we're just going to do this really slowly. We're going to send an away team, get life support running, and and we'll take it from there." And in that moment, we hear that there are Klingon battle cruisers on the way, which is that next sort of moment of like, 
oh, well, why should that matter? From Ensign Crusher, who right. has a full-on uniform. Like, yeah, he, he is, he's, he's, he's in it to win it. Well, yeah. That- Conscripts, you know, in the middle. Of- when you have 40 billion people lost to a war, everybody's eligible to sit at the comm. Which is interesting, because that means his story <laughs> is very, very different, because he was only there because he was a family member on board, and then he gets promoted to Ensign, right, in the first season. One would have to assume he's gone through Starfleet Academy already, because they need people. And Starfleet Academy is a six-week certificate course now. Right. <laughs> you know. It's an online course, too, which is really awesome. <laughs> so yeah, they beam onto the bridge of the Enterprise C. I actually love that there's open flame uh, on this thing. You don't know it's messed up and there are barely going to be survivors. I just thought the actual effects of beaming into a area that has that open flame and actually the, the the transporter effect is on top of the flame that's actually hard to do in 1990 right yes yeah yeah with the we got to get a special effects person on here <laughs> i'm more thinking about how often do you accidentally send somebody transporting them directly into the line of fire like is there a a heat sort of sensor before you send somebody over and these are the things I think about. Yeah, into the flame. Yeah, right. Transported into flame. You just have to keep talking to O'Brien as you're coming clear. Hot, hot, yeah. hot, 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 hot. Exactly. <laughs> Send me back. Uh, there's the body strewn all over. They get the captain. She's awake, but very injured. And so Dr. Crusher is there having to uh, find out what's going on with her. They dig Shooter McGavin out of a, out of a hole basically in the bridge. How did he get there? Hiding. Coward. <laughs> yeah, he's coward. Can we can we talk about the uniforms cuz they're my yeah. favorite Star Trek uniforms. And I love that they put that in that that touch in that they, you know, if they're whatever 22 years earlier they would have those uniforms. Mm-hmm. And I love that TNG throws those uniforms in pretty often. Right? It reminds me of uh, Kirk and and Star Trek 2, like that that's the first time those uniforms are seen, right? Yeah, that was the first yeah. time we saw them. Mm-hmm. And they're the best. Right. They, they have that little like lapel piece that comes across and they're the best of the uniforms in my opinion. Yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in agreement. Mostly because you see Kirk pull that down a couple times. You're like, oh, I need to just relax. Mm-hmm. Let's get this flap going. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm dealing with a truly interglacial instant incident with this. Yeah. Um, I have to be open for it so they can see my chest heat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I like it too because it feels a little bit more modernized. They have the comm badge instead of just the the regular Starfleet insignia. Um, but yeah, it harkens back to uh, everything that people would know from those TOS movies that are, you know, I think uh, Star Trek V had just come out like a year earlier. It's too bad. <laughs> I hate Star Trek V. It's a bad, it's not a good one. My voice teacher from grad school gives birth to Spock in that movie. Oh. No kidding. I always, I always <laughs> find that fascinating. <laughs> Good work, Cynthia. You rock. All right. And so they go to figure that the ship is, is still very in bad shape. They have to go to figure out what's going on. The damage control party is going there. And then we got Castillo. Uh, we find out he is um, the helmsman. He reports right away, which I like. He's like, I'm the helmsman. Wesley. Right? He's basically the Wesley of, of the ship. And then they figure out that Starfleet needs more ships, Riker argues. So we should try to get this uh, up to speed. And But, oh, there's Klingon battlecruisers near here. So you only have nine hours. Or, or we'll blow it up. <laughs> What's the tag? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because they can't leave. Don't want to leave that technology. A, a, a ship that the Klingons can take. Exactly right. And then that's when Guinan enters the bridge. This is the, I think only the first or second time that she appears on the bridge. She's always always in, in 10 forward or, or sometimes in conference rooms. But um, she just full on says, this is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I love this episode for so many reasons. But one of them is that it continues this mythos of what the relationship between Picard and Guinan is that we never truly know what it is but that his amount of trust in her in this episode begs more questions than it answers right but it it's they're delicious questions because I want to I want that missing episode I want that missing you know what what was like what was their meat cute <laughs> that made them uh trust each other so much you're absolutely right i want it and i'm desperately hopeful that we never get it yes i agreed right i mean it's all you kind of get it right it, in the time yes. zero i think right is the episode, when so. uh when they meet at the rift and as well in uh, generations right I was oh just yeah. thinking right. this morning and i'll allude to a small spoiler for picard season two but when picard in this episode of tng says guinan i've known you for a long time it would have been great if the line in there unbeknownst to them was uh longer than you even know because he goes back mm. in time to meet yeah, her and like ah i wish <laughs> I wish they would have dropped that, not even knowing why, just because it's a pithy right. line. And then it just ties <laughs> yeah. into uh, Picard later. And then a few years later, we figure it out. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, I mean, obviously, they have known each other for actually well, 100 years or something. But I agree. I don't want to know more about her, even though I do. Because that's what Book of Boba Fett taught us. Ah, true. <laughs> true. That's exactly right. Like, yeah, IP is is your friend until it turns on you. <laughs> but Picard does question Guinan in the ready room or the observation lounge. Uh, and that's where she just says it doesn't feel right. None of this feels right. The uniforms, this, there should be families on board. And Picard gets to do the thing where he, he hates the families on board. And he gets to really say, it. he's like, what? Are you crazy? Families on board on a wartime ship? That's what the, this whole scene's incredible towards the end when they get to how do you know i don't i only know i'm right and who's to say and you know i suppose i am like all of those things where she is just looking him in the eye and saying you know me i'm right i have no evidence and then finally it gets to the i'm here to help you to s decide to do it yeah not i help you decide whether to do it mm. and that little piece of writing is among my favorite lines in star trek it, that just little bit that I'm here to help you decide to do it makes me so happy. Very persuasive. You can't really argue with that. And the way Whoopi performed it really holds up the reason why you should believe her because she doesn't rise to his agitation. It's just like, I understand why you're confused or upset. It made me totally be like, of course you're right. Of course. This is how uh, omnipotent being would act. Perfectly played by Whoopi. Yeah, I love the choices they made there where you know, Picard is so, Patrick Stewart's choosing to be like so intense. Like he yells at her like, not good enough. And it's it's just this, and he's elevated to that level of mayhem that he's obviously experiencing as a battleship captain. And she's just so calm. She's ancient, this ancient being that cannot yeah. be ruffled. She just stays calm through it all and knows that she will be able to guide it where she And needs. it's an interesting, you know, it continues to be a very interesting choice to have cast one of the most you know, famous movie stars of all time, and certainly at this point in time, 
in a role that is so understated, that carries responsibility and authority in a way that her her movie performances at this point did not. You know, she was very large, very emotional, very, you know, she didn't have the opportunity to give this kind of nuanced thing. It's also impossible to separate it from the idea of, a, again, white man in power screaming at a, a black woman who's not. And the only way to get through to that is to let it hit you and calmly respond. So like, it's, there's a political statement in the writing and performing of it too. But my goodness, the overall aspect of the performance is just unbelievable. Yeah. And the fact that she's just known for comedy as well, too. And like, there's mm -hmm. just nothing com comedic about her performance in this episode or, or, or anything through Guinan. And I just, I love that. Picard goes from that scene to talking to the captain. They get a little bit more information. They were responding to a distress call. Romulan warboards surprise them. They barely escape with their lives through this rift. And that's where Picard realizes that this incident is not recorded. No one knows that you were there for this Klingon outpost. And he begins to wonder like what would have happened if that was recorded and people did know that you had fought that way 22 years ago, we'd still be at so much war. <laughs> he begins to wonder how can I fuck with the time? <laughs> <laughs> but then we get the first scene that really is Yar and Castillo getting to know one another, talking about ships and how they work and uh, how they can get repairs going. If you know what I mean. <laughs> I I wanted to say something real quick about the little Texas accent that he chose to use in this, which I think was a really interesting choice. Like he's born and raised in New York. That's not the way he talks at all. And it's pretty subtle. And I think it's a great choice on a character like this with kind of limited time to get us emotional about them. It gives him a memorable way to stick out from a cast full of kind of bland American or European accents. And like right away, we're like, oh, he's different and lucky. And like, it's it's kind of a, a great choice by a really interesting actor. Yeah, too bad he only did it because uh, Piscopo was on the season before and they told him you can't sound like yourself or <laughs> no one will know you're not Joe Piscopo. I get what you're saying, but at this point, it doesn't work anymore because no one knows who Joe Piscopo is. Nobody knows who Shooter McGavin is, <laughs> which is the way the universe should be. <laughs> wow. So we do get after that the scene with Data and Picard. Um, I just like this because there's more blue lighting. We don't get to see it uh, in quite this way, but you know, Data basically just confirms if they go back through this rift, they is dead. No questioning because Data. Data said it, so got to go. With it. <laughs> right. Well, it brings up a He's really facts. good point about Data and Riker right there. Like, if they're in this war and there's so few people, why aren't those two commanding ships? Like, shouldn't they actually be? Not a not a lot of ships. Not a lot of ships. That's the whole point. I mean, maybe even maybe that's why Riker wants this Enterprise C because he can take that ship and get command. <laughs> he could take it over. And that leads to other questions as to why you know why is Data in such a low rank. <laughs> yeah. He's superhuman. He should be captain of a ship. But they don't trust uh, AIs to lead ships quite yet. Yeah. Yeah. Then we get another scene with Yar and Castillo talking about how galaxy class ships are so much cooler than your crappy ass ship. It's true. She was kind of showing off a lot in this episode. Like it feels like she's back from out of nowhere and is really bragging <laughs> about how cool the Enterprise is. Is this a scene where where Castillo is sort of like freaking out, like, oh, man, we're in the future. And she's just like, mm -hmm, let me tell you more about this ship, because <laughs> I love that <laughs> dynamic for them because it shifts and changes. Right. Like I he and, and Eric, I'm glad you called out that little accent. Right. Because I think you're right. Like he's 
he's pretty charming in all of these. Like it's it's apparent immediately that he's hitting on her. But unlike other versions uh, of of this episode, you know, these episodes where the guest stars start hitting on the females, I I wasn't freaked out this no. time. Like usually I get ooked out really quickly. I'm like, red flag, times a thousand, get away. But him, I was like, oh, y'all get on, okay. Yeah, and can we just say for a second how truly, truly hot Denise Crosby is. Oh, oh yes, Oof. yes. And Christopher McDonald. Wait, no, never mind. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's pretty. He's he's no Roga Danar. All right. <laughs> so then uh, the captain wants to get up captain garrett she's you know fighting against being confined to sick bay and i, I do love this line by uh, dr crusher where she's like captains are always trying to not listen to me you're no different yeah uh and then she's like 24 hours if i have to stay here might as well be 24 years we're we're screwed let me get to work um, i i love her i do too i like super dig yeah. her and this scene is a big part of that and like because and also like the scene before where she's like great something's going on tell me what it is like she's just a straight shooter she's a smart cookie and just this sort of no fuck you there's not enough time for this i get that i feel that and she really was a captain right i mean this isn't just alternate reality she was the captain yes. of the sea so theoretically there there could be a series where we get to see the adventures of this and you know the series finale ends with her going into the future and dying mm-hmm. Ooh. oh and then we get denise crosby's whole journey after i mean this kind of parallels <laughs> strange new world right yeah. because that's sort of the journey anson is on in that one where we know like something terrible happens to his character, but who cares? You can reuse the ideas, right? Cause I agree. She was fun. It was like, and I hadn't <laughs> thought about it for yeah. me in my world of Star Trek. It was Kirk's crew and then Picard's crew. That was like, and it, like they bled right into each other. And that's absolutely not what happened. And it wasn't until this episode. And then this morning, like looking, I, I was like, I don't know, understand the timeline. And then I read, oh yeah, she actually was the captain. And there wasn't a an enterprise for like 22 years. They just, after the, the TOS crew, they just didn't recommission it for a while. And when they did, she became the first, the, the captain. And that's, uh, it was like, oh, well, I, it filled in the blanks for me, which was kind of cool. Yeah, after Cameron from Ferris Bueller was coming yes. for a little bit. So. Oh, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> in generations. The, the first Mormon captain in, in... When Cameron was <laughs> yeah. in Egypt's land. Egypt's I, I do love the the writing for her as the captain, though, because, it, it, you know, they just use, like, little bits to show that she has tons and tons of experience, like her line about, oh, ship's doctors always over-exaggerate recovery times and it's just like little bits of evidence that she's this super seasoned super experienced captain and you know you know you don't have a lot of time in these 45 minute shows to get all that stuff in agree that that little interaction with will Riker right at the beginning too where he says we'll tell you later and she's like you'll tell me now commander yeah like she's dying and she's like look at these fucking dots on my collar right yeah i don't even know your rank insignias but i know that you're a commander (laughs) (laughs) all right well then after that scene we get what we've talked about already with guinan and picard going into it a little bit more this is the scene where picard goes i need more give me more and she's just like nope uh this is it you know i can't send 145 people to die and she's like well 44 40 billion people have died Where, where do you weigh that by what's going on here and i think this is the real scene where Picard really understands what's at stake. Yeah, it brings that whole theme of the good of the many outweigh the 
the needs of the few uh, from what Star Trek Two. It's it's like a big theme, I guess, in Star Trek. They're always kind of reinforcing that with those moral choices. No, oh, that sacrifice is it couldn't it couldn't be any more clear that sacrifice is a theme of the show than this episode, right? Self sacrifice. Guinan goes back to Ten Forward right after this episode, or after this scene. That's where she sees, I think, Tashiar for the first time in this timeline. And it is not okay. The hackles on the on the back of her neck are up. I wrote in all caps, Guinan, please never look at me like that. <laughs> like I would never sleep again to have Guinan come in and stare at me like that. I'd be done. And it's so it's such an interesting choice writing-wise for her to instantly recognize Tasha Yar, know who she is, know that they have a history, but also just know this ain't right and you're a ghost. No, she would recognize She, does, she her. knows that they don't have a history. That's the whole point. Right. She never knew Tasha Yar, so her seeing her is like, I feel like I know you because of this world, but that's wrong. I shouldn't know who you are. I should have never met, right? That That's the the, yeah. the scariness of it. Yeah, it, and it is like seeing a ghost. It is like seeing like, wait, oh, yeah. I, 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 know, I intellectually know that I should know you, but I don't feel like I should know you. It's fun. It is fun, and... and uh, Yar picks up on it right away. There's a first for everything. She's upset. I've never seen her upset before. That means something. And that kind of stirs in, in Tasha's mind a lot, I think, for the rest of this episode. I like that they're kind of almost giving, you know, unspoken clarity to Guinan's awareness as she progresses through the episode. She almost starts to, as she experiences more people on the ship, she starts to get clarity as to what exists in the other timeline. You know, she seems really vague at the beginning, but then she sees Tasha and then it's like, oh, wait a sec. Tasha died in my time. Like she's starting to to be, the, you know, she's a detective, I guess, throughout, and she starts to get little bits of evidence. They talk more about ships and tactics and, oh, you've told me more in tactical than I've learned at the Academy. Um, oh, is your name Tasha? She, you know, Guinan referred to you as Tasha. And then you get that whole first name exchange thing, which, uh, to your point, Kate, felt really earned here yeah. i loved it yeah. right and again like i'm the number one holder of the something's not right with this relationship uh when they're the sped up but there's just something like i get it i get it and and i think there's also recognition somehow from tasha of like i'm i'm out of time i i'm not where i belong you're not where you belong right and mm. it's this unconscious sort of understanding of that that I think maybe leads them towards each other but that's sort of like my mom calls me Richard and so she she calls him she calls him Castillo and he's like nah nah I'm gonna need Richard from you I was like (laughs) (laughs) and she does the same thing I love that Denise Crosby plays it just like she doesn't say anything she doesn't like ruin it with a line uh she just has that really genuine smile it's cool it's really cool all right well then 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 Picard's like all right, I'm listening to Guinan. We're sending the ship back. And nobody thinks this is a good idea. Riker loses his shit. (laughs) And then Picard slaps him. Like, this is a briefing, he says. Oh, Oh, man. I do not need your consent. All I could think of during this scene was, in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. (laughs) Riker just turned into Aaron Burr. You're right. But I don't think anybody agrees with Picard. Even you know, Dr. Crusher's like, wait, we're going to trust Guinan's intuition on this? Right. Uh, and it's only Data who says, well, maybe if we're known that a Federation starship was defending a Klingon outpost, you know, that could mean something. It's nice that it came right after Riker's, like, you know, <laughs> we're sending them to their deaths for nothing. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, maybe for something. <laughs> 
not for not for nothing. Right. So now we know they're not best friends in that in that universe. When I was watching it, and I loved the premise entirely, but I wonder if it would be written differently today. With and I just mean specifically from the standpoint of how sci-fi handled uh, time travel in in this era where like supposedly you couldn't see yourself you couldn't impact the time because it would blow up the world or it would erase you somehow and you know and for me i didn't think of it any differently until avengers where they made fun of me for thinking of it in that way and came up with different ways of how you could do time travel (laughs) and i just wondered like would it be written differently because they would go oh well that's just silly that somehow it would be different now like because like they say in Avengers, once the sea came through, that became its reality. That was, that's what happened to them. Time thing opened up and they left. That was what happened. And then them sending them back, you could argue, well, now you're the one who's changing time. I mean, it's cyclical, right, Eric? Like we could go around and around on on those. It's hard to do it the way they used to anymore now that the multiverse is kind of a generally accepted thing. And every time you do anything, it shifts off this way. So changing our present by changing a past is very unlikely. And now they do all that kind of shit. But I think they really love uh, being able to kind of go back and re-explore this. I think it would be written differently because now they would have the ability to write in any number of possible spinoffs. I have to say there's something sort of nice though about like, and maybe it's because I'm used to multiverses now, but like there's a whole we've got to sew it back up. Like you came poking out the wrong hole. You got to go back the way you came and then we'll just sew it up after you. There's just something I'm like, all right, (laughs) that tracks with me. And maybe it's (laughs) because I grew up with that kind of thinking, but I didn't think it was a bad thing. It was just, I, I was wondering if they would, the the technical aspect of like, or the writer's aspect would do, would it just be thought of differently? Um, I didn't for a second, not believe in it uh, during the episode. It's like this, as the audience, it's the stakes of the episode, right? Like you get it right at the beginning. Like, you know, the TNG crew, you know, are different now. And how do we fix that? And I always, I like the idea, but yeah, I think they would have totally thought of it differently. And if they did it now, it would probably just been a multi-parter thing. I mean, it was kind of like that Voyager multi-part episode where they had like 10 years of hell or something where they had to go back and change all the stuff that occurred, like make it more of a thing mm, to deal with yeah. instead of one episode mm. package. Well, you're you're not alone, uh, any of you who are like, what what happened? How would this actually work? Because I think Jonathan Frakes said, to this day, I do not understand yesterday's Enterprise. I do not know what the fuck happened <laughs> in that episode. <laughs> I'm still trying to understand it, but I liked the look. And I'm like, oh, well, like thank for that, Frakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny now because he's directing Picard episodes that are dealing with time travel. Time so travel. Oh, yeah. it's not easy, Jonathan. Well, I think that's why Ron Moore wanted to have so much more destruction. like, we know this isn't going to stick. So we might as well just stick it to everybody. Like, let's give everybody a gory, mm-hmm. horrible death because it doesn't <laughs> matter. So let's just really explore how all these people could just eat a big bag of shit. Uh, and it's too bad we didn't get to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cut to 10 right. forward and have everyone sucking out the space. <laughs> All right. But at the end of that uh, conference room scene, Jordy's walking out and he's like, I don't even know if I'm alive in this timeline. I could be dead. And then that great reveal shot again of Yar. And she's like, hmm. 
<laughs> there are four or five times in this episode where either Tasha walks into a, a frame that you don't know she's in the room or the camera moves and shows that she's in the room where you don't expect and then she joins. And I think it's such a smart thing mm. to remind us that she's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Like it, it has to be on purpose. Mm -hmm. The camera work, everything is so... I want them to write everything in three days now because everybody worked together so wonderfully yeah. in realizing this. Of course, I don't for the unions, my union brethren, but <laughs> just amazing. I mean, this is why I asked Greg, when he asked me if I wanted to come on the podcast, it was, I was like, it's got to be for this episode because it's one of my favorites. Yeah. It's just so well-crafted. And I didn't know about the the short time period. So that that's really cool. You know, when you have constraints, creativity seems to be even better, so. Sometimes. Some, sometimes magic like this can occur. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's, I think it is, did contribute to the kind of breakneck pace of this plot. They're just like, we just got to do it. We got another choice. And it ended up being one to remember. And there are so many scenes where there's not much dialogue, where it's, where it's Picard and Guinan looking at each other and trying to convince each other. And they give those actors such breathing room in this episode. Mm. It's a great mm -hmm. choice on their, on their behalf. Because like, why wouldn't you when these tools are standing right in front of you? This really worked. Then Garrett and Picard ha have their conversation. She does not necessarily understand right away why he's making this decision to send the Enterprise C back. And this is, I love this moment where he, he looks around, lowers his voice. And this is the real motivation for everything of this episode where he says, the Federation is losing this war. It's better to take the chance as slim as it is for you to prevent this reality because we are fucked. Yeah. I think he says they have, mm -hmm. what, like six months yeah. left, which is just, that's huge. Right. And even though Riker's like, yeah, we need ships. Like he's like, one more ship is not going to do anything. Yeah, one busted ship. <laughs> yeah. But you preventing the war, like that is everything and worth fighting for. Yeah. I do like before, as they're sort of having that conversation, you know, she 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 says, you know, some of my crew actually do want to go back because they don't want to be here without their families. They don't want to run away from a fight. Like it's it's interesting like that in that there's already on the ship that struggle of like, what do we do before they even know that that's what's going to happen. I'm glad you point that out, Kate, because that's like such a great. That's like where the, the feels start to build for me in this episode. Yes. Where she's like, well, I, my, most of my crew are ready to go back and die for this. And then there's like the, there's some really intense, I think, feels near the end of the episode from Picard and stuff. But it's, man, it's really starting to hit home. Like yeah. this is an intense, this is like one of the most cinematic episodes of the show yeah. to date at this point. Right. And then we get some of that at the, at the conclusion of this act where Garrett is back on Enterprise C. They get attacked by Klingon Bird of Prey. It gets found. Right before that, when she makes the decision for the crew and she says, hey, everybody, we're going back. Like, she does not get the kind of disagreement that Picard does either. Like, because of that thing that we were talking about. Like, her crew just goes, oh, okay. And and they're ready. And it, it also shows what 20 years of war mm -hmm. versus how the Federation used to have their people trained and ready. And, like, the training's even different. Mm -hmm. The change of command is different. The mm -hmm. reaction of everything is different. It's neat to see these older people embodying what it was better than the new crew at that time. I also just really love that we get to see some uh, Klingon ships firing, right? We get like, oh man, this is, you know, this is stuff that's usually reserved for, for the movies. And we're getting a lot of this, you know, anytime there's any type of altercation like this in, in TNG, it's exciting. Um, and it's done really well here, especially when it cloaks 
uh, after they blow up what they blow up, you know, oh, right, they're gone now. We don't know where they are or if they have friends. Like that kind of dread is really, really interesting. And then, of course, Garrett uh, is killed uh, uh, at the end of this. We see that great makeup job oh, yeah. of uh, the piece of shrapnel that's in her skull. <laughs> right. It looked a little bit like a like a bar tool uh, that was stuck in her forehead. So I was <laughs> like, that is the kind of bridge I can get behind. <laughs> <laughs> i actually noted that the uh the shrapnel that's in her head is from a vf1 valkyrie model kit from the japanese anime super dimension fortress macross wow amazing yeah You're kidding and uh they actually said it's not the first time they've used uh model pieces from japanese anime that's super Fantastic. cool so yeah Next act is Castillo just walking up and being like, okay, I'm ready to assume command. Riker doesn't want it. He's like, nope, he's going to have no ops. He's going to have no tactical support. They, you know, their engineering crew is not going to be enough there. And he's like, nope, all right. And they have a little bit of conversation. And Picard's like, all right, get it ready in two hours, three hours. Which makes me wonder how much does the crew, how much do the does Riker know about how dire the situation is? Like, how much is Picard hiding and keeping close to his vest, like, how bad it actually is? The six months thing. And that's why he was being quiet, yeah. Like, literally, the crew doesn't know. Which adds more, you know, it adds more difference to this timeline, right? Like, this is not kind of stuff that Picard in our timeline would keep from his first officer. He, he would, like, Riker would be in on it. So it really it hammers in the fact that, like, the, these people are different. They're very changed from the, the war they've had to deal and with. And Riker's a true believer, right? He just wants to fight, 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 uh, and thinks if they just fight harder, they might be able to win. Um, so yeah, I think I think Picard is keeping it from him and most of the, the crew. I think that's why he let the captain in on that so so quietly. Riker really does like to fight, fight, fight. It's like every every time Picard's off the Enterprise, him and Worf are going to some battles. <laughs> I, I will say it didn't occur to me until right now, but like... In this crew, only Guinan and, and Picard are really old enough to remember life before war. And mm, that's super point. interesting. That is an important distinction, right? This is he was raised as he knew through the academy, right? Because we did mean Stephanie, he's like 29, 28. He's not that old. Yeah, he would have been eight or so when when the yeah. war broke out. So we get to see Denise Crosby and Shooter McGavin make out. That's cool. It's a good guess. <laughs> This scene is nice. I do like, there's thing you forget by the end of this scene, but early on, that there's two people in there. There's the security guy and the transporter person, but they very <laughs> cleverly just kind of zoom in on the two of them so they have this nice intimate moment, but... It wasn't. You know, it was not. <laughs> the cab drivers of the Starship. That's why they didn't have Mean Colmey in this episode, because he was like, I'm going to have to say something. <laughs> He's so mean. Mean Colmey. He's very mean. I think Mean Colmey is his new thing now. I love it. You know I can never get the first name right of Star Trek actors. Yeah. Dude, I'm I'm in I'm in awe. Donna Citrus. Boy, I had to edit that one out, man. All right, so then Yar takes that and goes to speak to Guinan. Wait a second. Something doesn't feel right. This that I just had with Castillo, that felt right. Tell me about what you felt before, and that's where uh, Guinan lets her know that uh, she died a meaningless death. And I love that they referred to it as that so that they could be like, look, we fucked up in season one how we let you go, uh, Denise Crosby and Tasha Yar. 
let's do this right. Like like you said, Kate, they did they did them dirty. She says it was an empty death, a death without purpose, which is what makes that villain right from that episode, uh, Skin of Evil, so terrifying, right? But the reality of it is, we lost somebody <laughs> like really quickly that, and we had no time to sort of uh, mourn that, or it wasn't part of the the death of a warrior, as it were. I like that. Also, Guinan knows she's there right away. How can I help you, Lieutenant Yar? Like she mm-hmm. just, it, it, this has been a long time coming. It occurred to me throughout this that I, I think I'm solidifying my beliefs in Guinan's powers, like the the set that she has, like. I don't know what they are. I know she's extraordinarily hard to kill. I know she lives probably as long as she wants to. But I also know that she can't just change shit and protect everybody the way a Q could. Right. Or she, either ethically or power structurally, she can't do that. So now I think of her as being immensely invulnerable and immensely wise, but her offensive stuff is more focused and her defensive stuff is basically only useful like, for herself. Except for that one move, Eric, with the Q, where she puts her hands up, which suggests, yeah, but it suggests she can do something, like shoot lasers or... No, that's what I mean. Yeah, but how are lasers going to help time travel? I feel like I'm getting a, a feel on her limitations, and I think that's what makes her so good at communicating what she needs from other people in order to fix this. Like... She's responsible enough to save the universe by herself if she could, right? I think. So it doesn't seem like an ethical thing to me. It seems like she knows she's powerless and has to convince these people who can make the decision to save the universe. And I I think it's worth showing that kind of difference in whether she can fix it or not not in this episode. But I thought it was interesting. I think it's perception. That's That's her real superpower is being able to both listen to people as well as kind of just understand something's off yeah she's a good contrast to q yeah. i've always thought that that she she doesn't have i mean she may have powers similar to his but you know her, her whole her race's whole thing is to be there with people and to interact with them and and have you know live long lives and have the intuition to move things through talking and listening um so then yara takes that information and goes right to picard and says i would like to transfer the enterprise c and he's immediately like what that doesn't that's illogical how could you even think of such a thing and then says eventually yeah okay cool permission granted but that dialogue where she's i'm not supposed to be here sir yeah he comes back with what did she say to you yes she felt the need it was felt it was necessary (laughs) to reveal that to you and then she says i felt it was necessary and he's like oh okay it doesn't get any clearer than this she says i'd like my death to count for something And that's, mm, I'm going to do it again. That's when I started to get choked up because it wasn't like, because she could have stayed on the ship, as he said, like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to need you. Like she could have stayed on board and and fought and continued, you know, to do the Riker sort of fight, fight, fight um, versus knowing that she's going to go back to this death. But but she wants that guarantee. Right. And it's not even that guaranteed. It's just she knows she knows. Maybe she's got some of those perception skills that Guinan has and doesn't even know it because she she feels it, you know, as we've seen in this episode, a couple of different moments. And as you said, I didn't even realize that the romance with Castillo could be part of those feelings too. But then they get to see each other again on the ship 
he says, you're not part of my, Castillo says, you're not part of my crew. And he says, uh, she says, I am. As it turns out, I was ordered here uh, and you need my help. And I love that there's a bunch of scenes in this episode of people being like, nope, that's not what's going to happen. And then by the end of that scene, they're like, okay, well, I guess yeah. that is what's going to happen. I mean, this is <laughs> this is like the third one in a row. There's something, there's just this small little piece of dialogue. This It's just so well written, which is, again, why I'm so blown away that this was written piecemeal it sounds like uh he says i don't want you here and he says it quietly Mm -hmm. and so personally and so like it's just so full of passion and she says but you need me here and he immediately is like all right get your like all like everything shifts and he's like great this is this is what we need to do and it just it's just it goes from the personal to the to the uh, professional but with the personal still there i don't know i just think it's fucking fantastic it is good it is very good because you're right you feel all those things at once in a scene with very little telling like it's just it's all it's all bald there for all to see all right there's a cavort class warship coming your way cavort (laughs) i'm so so delighted that that is i mean it just it Feels like it re uh, restates their love of poetry, music, and <laughs> and song, like naming their warship a cavort. It's very exciting, <laughs> <laughs> right? The Klingons uh, we have established as canon are the best poets, playwrights, and novelists in oh, Star Trek history. Wait till you read Shakespeare in the original Klingon. I mean, wait till you see the Jester class. That shit's gonna pass <laughs> out of space. The Harlequin class. <laughs> this whole last part of this episode is just action-packed, right? It just goes from phasers to torpedo Sierra patterns attacking to uh, it's 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 straight up as as fascinating and interesting as many of the battles in Wrath of Khan or or uh, Undiscovered Country. I thought this ship's moved too slow. Uh-huh. Why was it going so slow? Why was, I was it going so it, slow? It, I was both frustrated because, like, you gotta go faster, and also, why are you going so slow, Warbird? Like, it, it was too slow for me. I didn't like the visual effect there of the ship escaping or the Warbirds yeah. just taking their sweet ass time. It was like a Disney ride where they were loading up to go, you know, up the big hill or something. I, I would say I loved having the escape happen slowly. But yes, I would have liked to have seen the attack happen faster. The the escape limping out was was super cool, and the speed of the lasers and everything, you know, and the cutting and the editing was great. But yeah, the slow the slow Klingons kind of took the rug out just a little. <laughs> I do love the. I'm not sure if it happened right before this or right during it, but the the line where Picard says like, "Let's yes. not let history forget the name Enterprise." Yes. Was, man, that gave me right. the that gave me the feels oh. real hard. And and the stakes. <laughs> In this scene, we know are high, but like they pull out all of the stops because it's not just a slow moving sea going so fucking <laughs> slow, but it's also, you know, and then the phasers and the firing, but then the antimatter containment field is about to go out. Like it's everything. Like at <laughs> one point, I want them to be like, and we're out of cheese, right? Like there's like one last thing that just makes everybody freak the fuck out. <laughs> Yeah, like it, it like cuts to sick bay and like Beverly's <laughs> Rico sprays her out. Of oh, no. Bartenders are like, oh, all of our bottles are breaking. There's just one person in the bathroom trying to shave. And there was. <laughs> <It's really laughs> yeah. Data's out of charge. 
Oh, I really would have liked to have seen him get electrocuted as well as Wesley Crusher being yeah. decapitated. Like that, that I do. We do get Riker getting the Ooh, shrapnel in his neck. Rough. That's good gore. Yeah, yeah, that was rough. And then the bridge catches on fire. I mean, fuck, right? You get Picard jumping over the thing and be like, "Not <gasps> right? in my, right. not in my watch." Yes. And he's like, "I'm gonna fire tons of phasers myself." <laughs> Pat Stewart jumping over. No stuntman either. That was Patrick Stewart mm. doing that. Didn't we figure out he's like younger than us at this point? Every. Well, yeah. No, stop. <laughs> well, younger than me. Oh, yeah. And whatever us. phaser setting or. <laughs> Uh, photon setting, whatever it was that actually blew up the warbird, start with that one next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had to get the shields down first, yeah. man. I think it was the smelt ore setting, but on uh. the ship level, on the whole ship level. Well, I, I, I think we've seen this before, but I just love that this version of the Enterprise has phasers both above and below the saucer section. So when he's like, all the phasers you got, yeah. and then like, and then it blows up one, and you're like, oh, yeah, that is badass. And there's a nice techno beat going on below it. <laughs> Everyone's dropping Molly. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> that will be the day, says Picard as he leaps over. It's so cool. And then he asks Data, like, how, how many, how much time before the Enterprise C is go through? It's 52 seconds. I actually did count. It's about 55 to 60 seconds of actual screen time after he says 52 seconds. So that's rare for it to match up so much because usually wow. they either extend or shorten uh, the actual real time thing there. But I had actually, I'd forgotten that, right? Because they, they're so focused. That's when he jumps up and all that stuff is happening. You realize like, oh, wait. All they have to do is wait that 52 seconds for it to go through, and then all this won't matter. And then when you realize that, the cut happens. Yeah. And he looks back at Worf, and the lighting is all the same, and it's just so perfect that there's no reaction at all from anyone what just happened. Yeah, the construction and the execution are just delightful all through it. And then it has that extra button of Guinan being like, everything cool? Everything's all right? All right. And then it is different. Jordy is sitting there, not Worf, which I guess guess timeline-wise it wouldn't... Yeah, right, but... For some reason, I was like, something did change. We know because Tasha Yar went through and that was different. And then just having that extra button line of like, tell me about Tasha Yar. Oh, that got me. That's the line that hit me too. Because you're like, mm-hmm. that's what's important, right? That's the, that's what changed here was our understanding of this character changed from this episode. I think it's worth pointing out again that the, the episode opened on a two-person scene with Worf and Guinan and closed on a two-person scene with Guinan and Jordy. And I mean, 20 years ago, none of that shit would have happened, you know, 20 years before this, like the, the, the representation involved in having black actors open and close Mm. an episode of Star Trek. It was a big step forward, you know, hopefully we keep that going, Mm -hmm. but that's a worth, worth remarking on, I think. Is that cranberry juice that he's drinking? Yeah. I couldn't tell. It never looks the same when it comes from the replicator. <laughs> are you? Are we saying that it's canon that he has a uh, a, a UTI? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I changed the timeline and prune juice is no longer in the universe. <laughs> it was a butterfly effect type thing. We're like, nope, no prune juice doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Well, that's the episode, everyone. Uh, we certainly went and talked about this a lot, but I would love to hear everyone's final thoughts on it. Eric, I will start with you. What do you think? I will give it nine and a half hot Tasha Yars. The only thing missing for me was the spit curl, which I really, really enjoyed. (laughs) One, whatever. It was just so great to see Denise Crosby back. I, again, thought I remembered everything in this episode and I remembered nothing but vibe. Every single detail was a surprise to me again. And 
I was just floored all the way through with the care they took to let these actors express these characters really well. The script was terrific. The effects were terrific. The acting was terrific. I right, nine and a half. Kate, what about you? Oof. I'm with you. I'm going to give it, yeah, I'll just go nine and a half too. Why not give <gasps> halves, right? I'll give it nine and a half undefinable time vortexes uh, with no definable <laughs> edges. Because I love, I just fucking love everything about this episode. It's redemption for the that sort of story of Tasha and uh, for Denise. It's also just so Guinan heavy. I think we all agree that anytime it's a Guinan heavy episode, we are the happiest. It's really science-y. We've talked about like there, there's just a lot of good sci-fi in there and I love it. I love it. That's all. I love it. Fucking love it. <laughs> Jimmy, do you love it? I love it. I was going to uh, only give it a nine, but what the hell? Another half doesn't matter. <gasps> I'm going to... Give it nine and a half decapitated Wesley Crusher heads. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Uh, and for the reasons that everybody already stated, um, I love sci-fi. I love when things get sci-fi-y. And uh, this goes all the way, man. Alternate universes, time, moral dilemmas, a very literal apology from the real world to an actor for fucking you over and bringing you back <laughs> and giving you the exit you should have had. And then how that impacts the world of TNG, the sadness of losing somebody all over again. And ironically, the closing moment with Guinan and LaForge was a much more poignant eulogy than the original one they gave with mm. Data rambling on and on about the human he boned because he's really funky. <laughs> That's all I got to say about uh, that. <laughs> Tyler, what are your thoughts? Oh, man, love it. This has long time been one of my favorite TNG episodes, and it's just, it's in this period of, I think, where the show starts to get really, really good. I, I've always called it the, the Ronald D. Moore effect. When Ronald D. Moore got a little bit more creative control over TNG, the show got really good. When he got, when he got, when he came to Deep Space Nine, the show got really good. So um, this episode and just this whole season is is like this moment in the show where it really starts to get super cinematic for me it really starts to show the potential that these characters can have so i mean i don't i want to give it okay i'll give it 9.5 enterprise <laughs> c's but 10 prune juices because it's just yes. a great it's a great episode that's a warrior's rating <laughs> <laughs> oh man i was that's what i was gonna i did 10 wharf laughs <laughs> I'm going with straight up 10. No nine and a half for me. This is hands down one of the best episodes of the series, You know, maybe even of the franchise. It continually ranks on the, the top 10 of lists from, from people. And so it's got this great cultural impact for all the things that we've mentioned. I just want to give a shout out to the lighting and sound like that alone is remarkable to be able to pull off something so different and so viscerally affecting uh, the audience members with you know just the visuals uh, being so different was was really well done. Uh, I also agree that the writing it's remarkable that it's so good for written in three days, but maybe we should do it more often, uh, more <laughs> more more fast produced things because then you don't get those edits. You don't get tons of people being like, yeah, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about Gene Roddenberry screwing things up and his lawyer uh, coming in to mess it all up, right? We didn't get any of that interference, maybe because of the quick production uh, that was necess necessary for it. So you take risks and look, you know, great creative uh, endeavors come from that. And uh, it's a great testament to all of it. So uh, I loved it. I love talking about it with all of you. Tyler, thank you so much 
for joining us and talking about this episode. Thank you for having me. I, I almost never get the opportunity to actually like have almost an academic discussion of Star Trek. So this is amazing. Uh, thank you for having me. This has been a blast. You guys do great work. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, and you do great work, too. So if people want to find out anything about your doing uh, creatively, where's the, the best place that we can send them? You can head over to my website, www.tylerjacobsonart.com. And um, I mostly do a lot of art posting on Instagram, which is at Tyler Jacobson Art. Find me there. And I just had a book come out. So you can get the book through my website. Yeah. And even though you said you were born in 82, uh, you're honorary John X because you yes. said www. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> HTTP slash slash <laughs> colon backslash. Yes, no S. You can't have an S in there. That'd be Gen X. Yes. Well, thanks again, Tyler. Everybody should check out what you are doing. It is amazing. And now I want to see all those drawings of Star Trek ships that you did. Oh, man. I got to find them. <laughs> thanks, y'all. We're coming back with another one after a short break. Uh, with episode 16 of this season. <laughs> well, that is it, everyone. My pants are soaking wet, and it is time to go. Why did I wave goodbye to the <laughs> I whispered it creepily. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. We appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Instagram and Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready 